Welcome to Lithium Ion Rocks Season 1 Finale. That intro you just heard was actually a trailer for an upcoming Mad Men season, but I chose to use it as the end of Season 1. As a Lithium Mad Men myself, and there are other Mad Men in the Lithium social media ecosphere, and some mad women as well. Anyhow, one of my favorite lines from that and a concept that I is now my mantra as first half ends and second half begins is uh, it's time to change the conversation. If you don't like what's being said, change the conversation. That is what advertising is all about. And the main narrative that has dominated so much of discourse has been price. The price is going down. The equities are getting crushed because the price is going down. But now it's time to change that conversation to fear. And that is fear of shortage in this battery arms race. Everybody's forecasting a shortage by 2025. Some say sooner because of the expected demand, um, and if that materializes, uh, you know, where there's just not enough projects under development, and you need to overfund. You can't just fund just enough to like get to that one million, you know, expected forecast. You need to fund, you know, 1.4 million or more because demand will probably be higher and supply is unlikely to, you know, meet expectations. So you need to overfund. So. Four to five projects need to get funded over the next 12 to 24 months. And that is the focus here on lithium-ion rocks. And very much part of the presentation that I gave at the Advanced Automotive Battery Conference uh, last week, which I shared on LinkedIn, which was entitled The Geopolitics of Lithium, National Security of Lithium Supply, with a heavy focus on U.S. supply security and also in Europe. So we talked a bit about Piedmont Lithium. We also talked about uh, Savannah and Infinity. And then also Lithium Power in Chile and overall Chile-US relations, historic, you know, very strong relations compared to kind of this movement to China, you know, Panera's bread is buttered by China, but, um, and SQM, you know, potentially, you know, in play. So that, that thematic is uh, in the ecosphere, and I shared that. But we also have the Mr. Market first half scoreboard, and that is something Rodney and I are going to talk about for, uh, you know, 15 minutes or so. And then we have a final, uh, we recorded uh, Loop Capital's Chris Capsch for Albemarle, and we shared that in the Southern Accents Part 2. But the other half of that interview or a third of that interview was, you know, to talk about Livent. So there is a thematic here, dead or Livent. So listen to that at the end of the Mr. Market banter between Rodney and I. It is July 3rd. Just before the long weekend, Rodney and I have been traveling a fair bit. I was in San Diego last week after we were jointly in Santiago. 
But uh, we published the Mr. Market Lithium Bull scoreboard at the end of the first half. And I'm going to just comment on a couple of highlights and lowlights. So we believe the market overall was down 9%. The aggregate market cap of all the companies covered to about $21.5 billion. That is um, lower than the uh, annual CapEx budget for Exxon. I always uh, like to say things like that to put the tiny lithium market in context. Uh, but that $21 billion is about half the size of Tesla's market cap, and the uh, ecosphere for Tesla discourse is much, much, much bigger than uh, it is for lithium discourse. Um, a lot of this also is dependent on uh, our ability to uh, manufacture a lot of cells and make a lot of battery packs. So um, there's, there's not much point in adding product complexity if we um, don't have enough batteries. <laughs> then, then it's complexity but without gain. So um, we're, we're matching the, uh, the product rollout according to the uh, scaling of, of battery production. Um, that's really the, the main limiting factor. Um, and, and then as we, as we scale battery production to very high levels, we actually have to look further down the supply chain. Um, and um, we, we might get into the mining business, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe a, yeah, a little bit at least. Um, so we'll do whatever we have to to ensure that we can scale uh, at the fastest rate possible. So uh, to this point, we are going to have a battery and powertrain investor day uh, that uh, hopefully this summer, um, before the end of the year for sure. Uh, but I think you know they're very serious about trying to vertically integrate, you know, from mining all the way through vehicle production. So that wasn't he said that at the the shareholder meeting. Mining, we might right. get, that wasn't a joke. You think? Or? Yeah, no, I don't think that's a joke because I, you know, he had put out these offers before to these small lithium companies. Um, so I think they are serious about it. Um, you know, there are tales of verticalization gone wrong in the past, but I think you know Tesla's proven over time that, you know, they've been able to really leverage verticalization to better products for cheaper prices. If you just listened to Chicago and uh, Saturday in the park, I think it was the 4th of July. Actually, the 4th of July is Thursday this year. But uh, people dancing, people laughing, and a man selling ice cream. And readers of the Lithium Bowl and my tweets and other um, various discourse uh, know how much I like plain vanilla. The big negative news for the sector, I think, was Livent's massive earnings miss. And uh, apart from just it hurting Livent stock significantly, it punctured a significant uh, multiple uh, logic for the lithium industry. I mean, to the extent that it's a specialty chemical, you would think it should have, you know, predictable, sustainable earnings. And for Livent to miss, it, they look just like any other commodity. Uh, Andy Holm at Reuters wrote a very good article, as much as I didn't like to read it, 
uh, and live events a significant component of this podcast because we interviewed uh, Chris Capsch for album all, but also um, talked about live event a few weeks ago and haven't yet published that. So want to just talk about, uh, you know, live event was a negative story. Obviously, Namaska was a big negative story in the first half. Spajmin prices falling has hurt all of the immediate producers like Galaxy, Altura, Alliance and Pilbara and also uh, capital constraints in China um, on Ganfeng side and General Lithium side, it seems, you know, slower than expected conversion hurting there. However, in a stock pickers market, which this is, things are moving, um, you know, sideways to down, but nevertheless, there are opportunities. And I would say Liontown, a new discovery in the making in Western Australia. People are wondering, could it be another Kidman? Uh, Piedmont Lithium was up uh, nearly 100% uh, year to date, and they just uh, announced actually a very substantial $21 million financing with a brand new cornerstone order with Fidelity, uh, the bluest you know chip company. So it's a tough market out there, but selective stocks, I think the, the, a wheat from chafe is happening throughout the market. And... Uh, over the next six months, 12 months, 18 months, what we've been trying to uh, identify, uh, you know, are those opportunities of, you know, the smaller and mid and, and larger companies, but which ones of the small ones um, are likely to become part of the supply of lithium in the future? And uh, I think in, in Piedmont's case, the market is uh, gave a, a, an indication that the, the Carolina, you know, Tins Bajman belt is uh, is an area they, they think you know likely you know and worthy of um, of capital. With that summary, uh, I've done a lot of talking. Uh, Rodney, what do you think? Uh, I guess are, are some takeaways of the first half, and more importantly, what should we be looking at? You know, as the second half starts. Yeah, hard. It's been definitely an interesting first half. We saw uh, a lot of spodumen coming online from the various producers, and you know, talk of potentially a bit of overhang left over from the DSO that was shipped previously. Uh, the uh, ramp up in in uh, chemical conversion capacity in China not matching the ramp up in um, in spodumen concentrates. So. A bit of a mismatch there, but I guess it also raises the debate whether there is demand for all of the potential, you know, chemical production that could come from that concentrate. We are, as you say, it's a, a week from the chafe. I think that um, looking at SQM and Livens indications going forward for the next six months, I think it's important to look at. The financial, the capital structure of each company, who's got cash on the balance sheet, who can survive, you know, potentially a, um, a slowish next six months. The Chinese EV subsidy adjustments caught everyone um, a little bit off guard. We knew that there was potential for them to unravel completely by 2020, but, you know, there was a substantial cut, and uh, originally we saw demand for EVs in China holding and then now in May, year on year, only a 2% increase and uh, against the backdrop of a 17% drop in total auto sales. What is, you know, that now in the last in a day or two that is looking more encouraging was Tesla's Q2 numbers and 
the company suggesting that um, orders increase more more than sales. So net for net, they have a bigger book and uh, and Europe 85% up in May, and I'm not sure what, we'll, but um, should be should be pretty solid, albeit a much lower base than China, but definitely going to be supportive. So um, the other thing, uh, Howard, we've chatted about quite a bit is sustainability and the likely desire for integration of, of battery supply chains on domestic soil for the various uh, for the various uh, auto markets. So Europe, you know, we had VW stated in its lithium manifesto that they would like to support the battery supply chains on, uh, you know, on European soil. We've seen them go into North Vault. Uh, we've seen them do an offtake with, uh, with Ganfin and, um, you know, we're likely to see more, more things happen on that front. And we're seeing a lot of potential battery cell and pack uh, production growth in Europe. So, you know, you and I, we both, uh, we both agree. Guys like Piedmont in America, I think it Spodgerman concentrates a very clean all body uh, building to a strategic size, very positive for them, and they are now cashed up. And then some of the European plays, you know, that that we also think uh, are positive and uh, are likely to benefit from rising renewable energy. I see BMW has stated that they will look to be using renewables in their production process, so sourcing clean energy. So it's definitely a topic that people need to take note of and um, you know the battery arms race who is going to uh, who's going to secure supply I think that's the major message, and uh, again, to the change of conversation that I uh, opened this with, uh, you know, you just saw another article today I tweeted on, on Bloomberg about, you know, Europe just pulling out China's playbook here, and uh, so Europe is the new China, um, although you did have some BMW engineer um, you know, being a bit of a, a naysayer on, on, on the battery demand, but BMW is uh, lagging uh, Daimler and, and, of course, you know, VW significantly. So I guess he's talking still, you know, his, his diesel book. And also hybrids. Uh, Howard, I think the guys, there's a few manufacturers, Toyota and BMW, the two standouts that I think would like to kick the plug-in hybrid and hybrid can a little bit further down the road until battery prices... Um, come down a bit. The question is, when you decide to make the switch into EVs, the question is, will you get all the necessary supply that, that you need? We saw VW have its battery supply contract from Samsung cut down from 20 gigawatt hours down to five, possibly less, uh, and a misunderstanding. And you've seen them now go with Northvolt to uh, producing their own uh, battery cells. So it is a risky strategy, and we shall see uh, how Toyota and BMW uh, survive under that route. Oh, 
I was going to say, we say Tesla is not, you know, the story. It's an A story. We say China is not the story. It's A story. And Europe is not the story. It's A story. But, uh, you know, the China story um, on the demand side has actually seemed to be a disappointment um, in the first half, right? You know, a lot of, if you look at the exports, you know, out of Chile, uh, most of it is going to Korea and Japan. And you're continuing to see, you know, Chinese product uh, go into the non-Chinese market as well. And, and that seems to be, um, you know, pressuring both carbonate and, and the narrowing, you know, of the hydroxide price. Um, I, I don't know when all of that kind of turns around, but, you know, on the flip side, you do have, you know, this, this positive news from Tesla. And also the Tesla's major growth is in China, right? So this Shanghai Gigaplant, which, you know, started construction, in the beginning of the year is, is very rapidly moving. So apart from the, you know, Q2 and Q3 good numbers, um, I, I saw this other podcast with the guys who focus very much on Tesla, you're talking about that conceivably they could have first sales out of that Shanghai plant, you know, by November, December of this year. That's like incredibly fast. And, uh, and we'll see in China what the take up is for, um, you know, that product. Uh, you're right, auto sales in general have decreased. Um, EV sales have increased, although yeah, the May numbers weren't great. You know, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see how much the trade war has impacted um, domestic demand in China. The change in subsidies clearly you know, have, have had an impact, but um, I think these are just lumps along the road. Uh, it's really, really hard. I mean, if, if Albemarle and Livent can't really give very much visibility and we're all still, you know, um, digesting their first quarter's results, uh, I guess in, in a month or two, we'll, we'll have their guidance for, you know, this past quarter. But uh, it's hard for anybody to, to give any real visibility on the immediate term. But uh, long term, the demand definitely seems there. All the people who said, you know, oh, Tesla the demand is not there, you know, that's not true. And we have a whole bunch of other, you know, cars companies that are introducing products. So I mentioned it in the last podcast this uh, Volkswagen advertisement. Um, but Volkswagen, again, uh, they popularize the Beetle, they popularize the Golf. If there's any company that's going to popularize, you know, mass market or $25,000, $30,000 car. Um, I, I think they have a they have a good chance. Uh, I want to, I guess, just comment. There was one um, announcement, a, a company no one ever really talks about is Aramet in Argentina that talked about, I mean, again, there's always these misleading headlines. It's like, you know, oh, they're going through with the project. But, you know, they announced that in December or in the Q4, they um, will announce whether or not they make a final investment decision. And they also surprisingly said for a company of Aramet's size that uh, it's subject to kind of financing, you know, and finding partners, right? So even a well-capitalized big company like Aramet is looking for partners there. But, um, you know, in terms of projects that we think are going to get into production, this is a private company, so it's not tracked, you know, very carefully by, by most investors, but it, it is, you know, a project in Argentina that uh, looks like it'll, it'll go ahead. We saw when we were in Santiago that uh, Chile is definitely looking to open up for business again and get back, uh, you know, and grow on the lithium map. But 
I mean, Howard, I think the, the, some of the, the, key, the key distinction is, is projects that are ready to go. You know, you always talk about 20,000 tons, 20 years, 500 million roughly capex. And the truth is, in terms of projects that are, um, are completed, have definitive feasibility and very robust, you know, e economics and NPV and... Um, and accurate cost assessments and what have you, there aren't as many of those as people think. That's the truth. Um, there are a lot of earlier stage projects. So I guess, uh, you know, long life projects that are ready to go uh, and that will come on stream when we're likely to see uh, a major uptick in demand are, of course, appealing. So, um, it's a, it's a very good no, point, Rodney. It's a very good point. I mean, there's a lot of lament out there. Where is, you know, and I'm part of the, the you know, that, you know, the, the more investment is needed in the sector, more investment. But the, the reality is there, there are very few projects that were at a stage where they could be fully funded, right? There was Namaska and Bacanora last year. Namaska was late. Bacanora was late. But both of those look like they're now going to get funded. Um, we'll see on back in Nora, but that is definitely a second half um, thing to focus on, as is whether or not Namaska gets funded, as is the who can it be now, you know, Pilbara process. But, uh, you know, other than Sol de Vida, which is at a definitive feasibility study, um, you know, there was Aramet, um, and, you know, now Marikunga, you know, uh, yeah, Marikunga at yeah. Lithium Power, they're ready. I mean, they need to be permitted, but, you know, they're at definitive feasibility study level. Um, but if you look at all the other projects out there, you know, Ioneer's Rhyolite Ridge was only at a PFS. It's not like you, you, they were ready to fully fund. I mean, they're going to get there. Um, and other projects, whether it be Thacker Pass of, you know, Lithium Americas, I mean, that was that feasibility study, but then they ripped it up and, you know, are, are doing, you know, a different way. But, but a company like Neo Lithium, right, that, that's a pre-feasibility study. It doesn't mean that it can't be partnered with or taken over. No, but, I mean, they're, 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 they're on it and, and, you know, they're doing all of the necessary work. But the truth of the matter is, and, you know, it's a project we think has potential. But in the end, you need to have a completed, hard, firm uh, pricing on on capex and uh, you know finalized and permitted and ready to go and you know the truth is uh, there's not that many even for Pilbara you've still got to find someone who has done the feasibility on the chemical plant side they've done feasibility on um, on the spodumen side but you know the guy who's going to buy the minority stake needs to do his numbers and finalize those that, um, that, that that's that's right so. Um, if you're going to fully fund and try to get a project into production, I mean, uh, there, you have to go to definitive feasibility study, right? Um, if you're going to be acquired, right, uh, you don't, as a junior, you don't necessarily have to go to definitive feasibility study. Ultimately, you know, the acquirer, or, you know, will, will do that. But, you know, you saw, uh, you saw SQM come into Kidman early. You, you saw West Farmers, you know, take over Kidman, you know, even before, you know, full DFS. So, those things are, you know, that's possible. Um, but but trying and assuming that, you know, a company that's at PFS is is going to have a, um, you know, is going to fully finance, right? You know, the, that's unlikely. They might have a partner, right? You know, millennial might find a partner for you know a part of it. Um, 
And, you know, we'll, we'll see. But as I look at the landscape, you know, of the world, I still see a lot of overhang of Argentina uh, political risk. Um, there are a lot of brines in Argentina. Um, brine companies, you know, do need to, I mean, more brines need to be, you know, part of the mix. But the question is, you know, how, how many, right? You know, you have Olaraz and Kachari, um, and both of those have expansion, uh, you know, capabilities. Uh, both companies are articulating. Uh, Ombre Muerto, you know, Livent is aggressively expanding there. So, so like how many new brines, right, you know, between Chile and Argentina are going to get funded in the next, you know, 12 to 36 months? I think maybe one or two. Right, maybe three. Um, in the rest of the world, I, I like you were saying. I do believe that Europe, you know, should have some deposits for a, a security perspective, and also just from a, a green sustainability perspective. I think you know North America, you know, in the U.S., most likely North Carolina. I, I to our point that we just made, there haven't been a lot of projects that are ready to be fully funded, but a number of them, you know, should be over the next kind of 12 to 24 months. And I believe that this shortage that could happen as early as 2023 or whatever the number is, can certainly be averted um, if we get this investment over the next 12 to 24 months. So, um, but that, but only, but that only sort of covers you. I think I, I would disagree because if you look at the track record of ramp of hard rock to chemical and and brands, you you won't make it even if you invest by the end of this year. A brand fully funded by the end of this year will make a marginal impact by 2025. Fair point. Uh, fair. Historical precedent given, you could get a bit better out of hard rock. What I'm saying to you, Howard, my problem is. Let's say demand is a million tons in 2025. In 2026, it's 1.2 million. It's 200,000 tons. Now, do the maths on projects. Are you going to fund eight to 10, 20 to 25,000 ton a year projects? I can't see it. Yeah, I, I don't have all of that math in front of me, but I, I, I'm thinking three or four projects that are not currently like kind of in construction need to be in construction within the next, you know, kind of 12 to 24 months. Things that are already in construction, like Wajina and Kemerton and Quinana, which are also scalable, right? You know, th these guys are saying if the market's there, it'll be 40,000 or it'll be 60,000 or it'll be 80,000, right? So th those mines, Greenbush's mines, the Wajina mine, the Mount Holland mine. I mean, these. I, I am hopeful, right, that they will. Well, one, they'll be funded. Two, they'll they'll get into production by 2022, 23. So by 2025, those projects combined with hopefully, you know, live in that Ombre Muerto or a Cobre, you know, we'll see if Lack and Ganfang are on time, and if they enlarge that, and if we'll see, you know, if SQM and and Albemarle's expansions are happening by, you know, six years from now. But uh, um, uh, it's the new ones. It's the ones that are not yet, you know, kind of funded and are going to get into construction that um, I think for a diversity, geographical diversity, a type diversity, you know, a sustainability close to, um, you know, people... As the projects have advanced, the knowledge about the market and different projects... Um, 
uh, are advancing and they're coalescing, you know, around, you know, certain parameters. And Volkswagen, as we talked about many times, has planted a flag, you know, in hard rock to hydroxide, you know, locally sourced. Um, I wrote in this, uh, this presentation that I gave at the Battery Conference, and we've talked about it as well, that I'm not sure how sustainable it is to be so reliant on Chinese suppliers like Ganfeng or Tangxi, because ultimately, if there is a shortage, I imagine um, those companies are, are, are going to, to feel obligated um, to, to serve you know, the, the Chinese market. So it, and the Chinese market is not just Chinese consumers. There's you know, lots of foreigners you know, inside China as well. But it, it's important for Western OEMs to have non-Chinese sources of supply, and that presentation I gave showed that China has moved to now control nearly 60% of the available lithium supply. There's plenty of lithium and there's plenty of opportunity for that to kind of change, you know, over time. But, and this is not anything sinister on behalf of, you know, the Chinese, it's just that they have been more proactive and forward looking on this. Europe's catching up. I desperately hope America and I keep pounding the table. I think it's a Make America Great Again, uh, bipartisan issue to be supporting high-end manufacturing in the United States and advanced mining. You know, this is an industry that that should have both Democrat and Republican support. Uh, it's becoming a topic already in the Democratic debates. We heard the word autonomous vehicles, you know, come out of, you know, the mouth of one or more of the candidates. And so, the, the, you know, again, America is behind, um, but people aren't giving high expectations for it. So there's upside surprises potential to come out of America. In the meantime, we do have the, the, the leading company in Tesla. And uh, so much of this thematic is driven by politics, right? In China politics, in Europe politics, the U.S. politics has kind of been, you know, sideways on this. But um, I'm optimistic that... We'll, we'll get on board here, and and therefore uh, there's going to be other opportunities. I think a very uncommented, I'm surprised at, at how you know this Back and Nora Ganfeng deal is is quite meaningful, right? It hasn't yet closed, but they signed it, you know, last week. Uh, that's meant to close at the end of this month. Um, you know, Lack is also still waiting for their money from Ganfeng. So, you know, just a, a quality company like Ganfeng is still quite slow in their ability to, you know, raise money. They're doing deals, but it, it, it's not like, you know, super, super quick. But, um, you know, for there's a lot of clay, uh, you know, Lithium America kind of, you know, Thacker Pass enthusiasts. Um, I, 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 I think this deserves, you know, if this closes and, and as I think it will, and if Ganfeng, you know, further funds their share, which we estimated to be 150 million, you know, for this clay project, I mean, I think it's a, it's a very interesting, you know, development, but also, um, you know, this geopolitical angle here, you know, can Ganfeng, you know, be involved in Thacker Pass? Is there a, a U.S. consideration there? But, is there kumbaya now with Xi Jinping and Trump, you know, and, uh, you know, I'd be all for CATL and BYD, you know, investing in, um, in America. You know, I don't see any reason why Ganfeng, you know, couldn't invest in, in Thacker Pass or quite frankly, merge with, you know, Canadian listed lack. 
Uh, we've talked about that. I think that would be, uh, you know, if they truly, if Ganfeng wants to be the number one and they've aspired to this, and that's a little bit of a worry, right? Like uh, Luke Kassam was like, he just wants to be the most profitable. He doesn't care about being number one. Ganfeng keeps talking about wanting to be number one. In my mind, you can't really be number one if you're not like kind of listed in the New York Stock Exchange and you get, you know, that multiple and you have the transparency. And and one way that that could be done would be to, to, to merge with TSX listed lack. Um, and then it would be a back end way to you know, potentially be involved in Thacker Pass. On the other hand, why wouldn't uh, why wouldn't Ganfeng, you know, build a hydroxide or carbonate, you know, conversion facility in North Carolina? Uh, hats off to Ganfeng's management. I mean, they are writing big checks into their rights offerings, so there's skin in the game there. Um, they're they're an ambitious company. I, I worry a little bit. Um, are they overstretching, right? You know, they're very aggressive on, um, you know, an Argentina expansion, you know, in brine. They've not done that before, you know, and now clay in Mexico, not done that before. But, uh, you know, they're also in solid state. They're also in batteries. You know, they're a very diversified company. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just hard work to get to the bottom of what's happening there, you know, from an English language financials perspective. And then, you know, the just accessibility of management is not what it is, um, you know, for for others. They're talking about various train wrecks, they kind of showed, you know, where 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 the low cost producers of carbonate are, right? And I think it was making an argument, you know, that Livent and Lithium America, like Ganfeng's in Lithium America, is because there'll be low cost carbonate, you know. And then it showed, you know, on the right hand side, the high cost producers are the consumers of, you know, Chinese, you know, Australian spodumene. Right. So it didn't say in that in 